Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, as always, Jeffrey Wheatman. I am very excited to have our guest on today. Today's guest is Debbie Reynolds. Debbie is the founder and chief data privacy officer of Debbie Reynolds Consulting, otherwise known as the Data Diva. Um, I actually met Debbie via LinkedIn. Uh, you should follow her on LinkedIn. She has some amazing stuff she puts up. She's a true thought leader in this privacy and data protection space. And I reached out to her and she was kind enough to actually be a guest on Risk and Reels. Uh, Debbie also has her own podcast, which you should definitely check out. And Debbie, I'll encourage you to say a few words about that. But in the meantime, say hello to our audience. Hello, audience. I'm very happy to be here with Jeffrey, and it's going to be a fun conversation. So uh, as everyone knows on Risk and Reels, we always talk about movies, and I think that um, I have an easy question for, for you, Debbie. What is your favorite Debbie Reynolds movie? That's a great question. Uh, so Believe it or not, I don't watch very many movies, but I have seen Debbie Reynolds in one movie, and that is Singing in the Rain. So I guess that would have to be my favorite, because that's the only one I've seen. Okay. All right. I, I actually like that movie as well. Um, I, you know, everyone I think gives Fred Astaire credit, but I think uh, I think Debbie Reynolds and her, her perky personality, I think, gave that movie uh, a lot. So, so, so can, can I ask you, Debbie, if you don't mind, were you named after Debbie Reynolds, the actress? I was. <laughs> okay. So my brother, when I was born, he was eight and he had a crush on Debbie Reynolds. And so he begged my parents to name me after her. So that's how I okay. actually, um, that's, I am named after the actress. <laughs> okay. All right. No, that that's good. I, strangely enough, my wife, who actually goes by Deborah, also was named after Debbie Reynolds, although her last name is not Reynolds. But um, it's uh, it's funny how uh, these days we don't name people after famous people. We name them after weird characters and yeah. uh, or car strange. automobiles. You can't afford. <laughs> Mercedes uh, and Porsche. And well, we like so so. It's funny you say that. I I have a daughter named Tesla. No, I don't really. I just. Don't <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I so I always have to share. So my my favorite Debbie Reynolds movie is actually uh, the Unsinkable Molly Brown. I I just love that story. Uh, most people know her from the movie Titanic, but if you if you check out the Unsinkable Molly Brown, it's really just about her. Obviously, they cover the Titanic, but you know she has uh, you know great reputation for being you know keeping positive and always staying ahead. And I think that that's um, I think that's a great quality, and I think actually that's a great transition because you're a privacy expert. You've been doing this around privacy way longer than I have. And I, I think we'll talk a little bit about your career trajectory because I think it's super interesting. But I think the reason why the whole Molly Brown thing, I think, is there is because we see articles all the time about CISO burnout and CPO burnout and how much pressure there is. And we see, you know, the new SEC regulations and, you know, we see CISOs getting uh, you know, accused of crimes and, and being convicted, all this. And it just, it's somewhat of a thankless job. And yet you always bring, like every time I see you and you always seem to love what, what you do. So 
share a little bit about your your career trajectory with with our listeners because I, I think they'll find it fascinating as I did. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, fortunately, I'm not a CISO, uh, but I uh, cybersecurity and privacy have a symbiotic relationship, so I work very closely with those people, and I'm more on the uh, advisory. Uh, side like don't touch that stove because it's hot you know <laughs> so I could definitely <laughs> do that right um, so in terms of my trajectory uh, my first of all I guess two things one my privacy interest was a personal interest to start with so uh, in around 1995 I read a book called The Right to Privacy and it was actually a book that our mother had Caroline Kennedy is a co-author of that book, and and the book was about like privacy laws in the U.S. and that concept fascinated my mother, and it and her interest fascinated me. And I read the book, and I could not believe what was private and what wasn't right, uh, because I think in the U.S. we have this conception that you know we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, and you know, we have all these rights, freedom of speech, and like privacy is just not there, right? And so they were illustrating in the book why it's not there and how it's not there and how that plays out in legal stuff. And so that was just my personal interest. But then on a business side, you know, I am a technologist. Um, so I started my technology career in library science. Uh, so, you know, Jay, I know you, Jeffrey, you're not uh, old enough to remember when uh, libraries had card catalogs, but I was turning those on the databases way back when. And basically, my technology career was helping companies with digital transformation, or back then it was called transformation, right? So moving, <laughs> moving things from uh, analog systems to digital systems, and people want to do all this technology. And I started doing that for a lot of multinational corporations. Uh, so they had data all over the world and I had to know, you know, as a magic asterisk of my job, you know, how can we move stuff legally without getting in trouble and stuff like that. So um, around the time, and I've been doing this for like well over 20 years, like well, quote unquote, over 20 years, right? Uh, and so around the time that the uh, European Union was going to update their data protection uh, um, a directive. Uh, I started getting calls from people and corporations that knew me, and they're like, "Hey, we know you know this privacy stuff. Like, can you help us, or can you come talk to us?" So, one of the biggest companies to call me, the first company that just called me right out, and they saw they heard me speak at a conference. Uh, this woman, she was from McDonald's Corporation, and she asked me to talk to their corporate legal department about European data regulations and this is before the general data protection regulation came out and I'm like hey this is coming this is like this is how it's going to impact you and so that was kind of the start of me just moving directly into privacy so I still do digital transformation uh, stuff and I do privacy things so when I'm talking I'm always talking about emerging technology and privacy because those things connect together. So those are the, the two two strains of things that I work on. And those are the things that I end up talking about when I'm talking with people. So that so interesting. So a couple of questions. Um do you think that book is still relevant today? Absolutely. <laughs> because a lot of the laws they talk about still exist. Like they were not updated or changed or anything. I think the thing the really interesting thing about that book is that, you know, the internet 
is only about 25 years old. So this like this is like pre-internet, right? And so they were talking about the gaps in the laws then. And so those gaps have only grown wider uh, because of technology. Because, you know, like um, something like the third party doctrine, right? So the third party doctrine is a legal doctrine that says, you know, if you give information or something to a third party, you don't have the same rights over that data that you have if you have it in your possession, right? So this is, again, pre-internet. But now, because of the internet, because of the cloud or whatever, people don't know, let's say, for instance, you had a will or something or a letter that you don't want to share with anybody. If it's printed in your house, you have more rights over that than if it's in the cloud. Because they're like, you gave it to a third party, so then you don't have as many rights to it. And so that that's a huge gap uh, there in those laws. And that's because those laws have not contemplated the internet age and how things are different. So, so that's interesting. Let me let me kind of pull on that a little bit because I agree with you. I think the laws are frequently behind the technology, and I think we see it all the time where people are, well, we're going to ban, we're going to ban ChatGPT. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? But are you seeing any changes or any sort of indication that that lawmakers are gonna? try to address this? I mean, we have GDPR and, you know, CCPA and a lot of state regulations and we see some others, but I still feel like they are not where they need to be. Do you see any future where the regulations will actually be more practical and, and useful or are we always going to be chasing that, uh, that dragon's tail? I think we'll always tr uh, chase that dragon's tail because technology always goes ahead of regulation, right? So when people create technology, they're not thinking about regulation. They're like, hey, I want to get this product out. And this is one of the things with ChatGPT, right? Where they're sucking up all types of data off the internet, stuff that they may not have you know, legal right to use, but because they can, they do it, right? And what are you going to do? First of all, a lot of these laws don't even address that. So it's like a huge gap and they can make, you know, trillions of dollars before anything happens in regulation. So regulation is like uh, a regulation is unfortunately now that we're going, especially in the AI age, can be too late. So there are things for which there will be no adequate redress. Right. So let's say an AI says, hey, we think. Jeffrey, because he goes to this grocery store or he, you know, uses an Android as opposed to Apple phone, he's not a good um, employee. So we're not going to hire him or we're not going to give him a job or we're going to say that he doesn't need cancer treatment or whatever. You know, so those are the types of risks and harms that we have around AI. And, you know, it is a privacy issue, right? So you're like, how do you know that someone's using that information against you for a harmful purpose. So I feel that the best laws and regulations around stuff like this is not chasing a particular tool or technology. They're basically saying, you know, if you misuse data, people can be harmed in this way. And then we need you to do what you can or what's necessary to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit because I think this is an interesting thing. What is the definition of privacy? I think people disagree. And, you know, we talked before we started recording about Daniel Salav, the attorney. He, that's one of his thing. He said, how do, you, how do you manage something when you can't even agree on what the definition? So how would you go about defining privacy as a, as a construct? Yeah. The easiest way I found 
to talk about privacy. To me, privacy is the right of a human not to share their information. <laughs> and that's what okay. we don't have in the U.S., right? So uh, if you give, well, uh, for example, let's say you sign up with a service. Let's, let's forget a service. Let's say you get a, uh, a coupon in the mail from somebody you don't know, right? And they know your name and they know, hey, you love to go golfing or whatever. You're like, I don't know this company and they don't know me and I don't know how they know all this stuff, right? But they'll say, well, if you don't want to receive this information, you can opt out, right? But you never opted in in the first place. But that's a right that you don't have. And that's why we have problems around privacy because we have companies that are using our information without our knowledge, uh, without you, your permission. That's what the data broker industry totally is. And they and what happened is they were using this data, they're selling it, but then they're making decisions about you that you may not be aware of, right, that may be harmful to you. Uh, there is an example, and a lot of internet companies have gotten in trouble, and this is the reason why a lot of regulators are looking at AI in the hiring area. Um, there are some algorithms that will show, let's say, um, let's say there was an executive job or whatever. Uh, they'll show you that job, but they won't show me that job. Okay, because you're a white man and I'm not, or I'm a woman, and they think some of these algorithms say, well, you know, maybe Debbie needs to be in the kitchen cooking or you know making babies or something. Like she doesn't need an executive job. So this is these are these blind spots or these algorithms where, you know, a lot of women I know they're like, oh, I can't find a job. And their husband looks, oh, well, here are all these jobs. <laughs> I don't. Why can't you find a job, Susie? Here are all these jobs that I see. You know. So I think what people don't understand is that a lot of these algorithms are are determining before you even know what you see. Um, so we we think. For example, the internet is like a library where you can walk in and you look at every section. But really, the, the internet is like a library is created just for you, right? So you don't see everything, but you assume that you do. So I think that creates like a lot of the uh, problems that we see in society where people are so different. Uh, you know, there's a lot of consternation because people are like, oh, you know, you're wrong because I read this on the internet. And it's funny, like both of us, we can search for the same things on the internet. We may get different results based on these algorithms and what they think we want or what they want to show us. So that that's interesting and, and I have to say uh, scarier than I thought. I, I frequently am scared on these podcast interviews. Um, so I think I think you hit on a couple things that I like to to sort of expand on a little bit. So I think everyone I mean, not everyone, but I think most people are generally aware of the fact that um, there are visibility things to your point, right? That you see a job that I don't see and, and vice versa. But I think that people also don't, I think people don't realize that they could have some level of control over how these things are, are used. So what are some tips you can give our listeners for how, how you can take at least some modicum of control? I think full control is probably an illusion. Uh, maybe you can disagree and feel free. You know more than I do. But what do you suggest to people to how, how can they do a better job protecting themselves? Yeah. 
Well, one thing I highly recommend people use, use different browsers. Uh, use different browsers to do different searches. Uh, definitely use those uh, things that are like either in incognito mode or something where it's not tracking you with cookies because you get a more unfiltered results, right? Because I personally, I want to filter. I want to do the filtering. I don't want someone to filter stuff for me. Uh, a good example of this, a very uh, practical example of this would be like searching for airfares. So let's say you're on Google, you're searching for airfares, right? And it seems like every time you're searching, the more you search, the, the prices go up and you go, oh my God, or whatever. Let's say you do that same search in a privacy browser. It doesn't have information about you doing this search, right? So the prices will be different. <laughs> so I tell people, if you know, use one browser to search and the other browser to actually pay <laughs> for, you know, for your ticket because it's sort of trying to game the system based on what you're doing. Um, so I think, you know, uh, another thing is for people, I think, you know, don't share, be purposeful with how you share your data. Like, you know, don't be like, okay, and this is a true example. I think Amazon did this where they're like, uh, hey, give us your biometric information and you come in the store and use your thumbprint and we'll give you a $10 coupon. So I personally don't think that my biometrics is only worth $10, right? So that's just not a good trade. You know, the, I think the, the, the value exchange is very asymmetrical anyway uh, in terms of what you give and what you get, uh, but that could just become astronomical. So, you know, think about it. Like you may not need that $10 coupon or 5% 5, 5 off, you know, we, you know, send you emails, you know, 10 times a day or whatever. So think about that before you sign up. Right. And, and it's not just Amazon, right? All, all of these big internet giants are doing similar things. Oh, yeah. Like, Think about it. when Google when Google was new. What was their what was their slogan? Right? Don't don't do harm. Don't be evil right? or something. Yeah. And and yeah, I don't think they're following that. I haven't heard that in in a long <laughs> in a long time. And but I like I like what you said about be about being purposeful. And I think some of this is also generational, right? You you made a comment about me not being old enough. I think I'm probably older than you think I am, but. You know, my parents are in their 80s and I love them and they're both really smart, but they don't understand what they're giving away in, in a lot of cases. And there was a thing a bunch of years ago, it took place in the UK. They were at a, an IT conference and they said, will you give us your password for a chocolate bar? And a bunch of people did. And everyone's like, oh, they're giving fake passwords. I said, no, they're probably not. They're eating the free chocolate, right? UK chocolate's much better than US chocolate. But I think that being purposeful and, and taking a step back, I think we, our society is so um, interrupt driven. I was, I was talking to a buddy of mine from high school was over for dinner the other day. And we were just talking about how, like, when we were teenagers, nobody could get in touch with you. Now we're accessible all the time. And if someone texts me and you don't text them back, like, why didn't you get back to me? What's going on? Right. So I think being purposeful and, and being mindful, I think that's a great piece of advice. And, and I'm guilty of some of these things, right? I don't use different browsers and I don't use incognito mode and I search for airfare all the time. And I think it's a really interesting sort of conceptual thing to, to think about. I, I loved your, um, your library metaphor. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. I will give you credit for it, but I am going to use it. Um, so, so I love that. So do you, um, 
do you think that regulation is the way to go? I, and, and I know you mentioned talking about regulations not being overly specific, which I agree with you 100%. I used to do a lot of policy work and I used to say the same thing, right? Be broad, look at the risk, look at the use cases. But do you see regulation? Someone's got to get control of these big companies that are using the data the way we don't want them to. What's the solution? Yeah, I think the solution has to be that it has to not be worth it, right? And right now it's totally worth it. <laughs> you know, if a company is like, okay, we're going to make billions of dollars and then we're going to get fined, you know, a million dollars. They're like, oh, whatever, you know, look, go for it. Um, one example, probably one of the better, the best laws I think in the U.S. around privacy is the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. Um, uh, and so BIPA, and so BIPA says, you know, you are limited in how you can use someone's biometric information. If you collect it, you have to tell them at the point of collection, like why why you need it and how long you're going to keep it, right? And so that's the, the law is like four pages long. It's probably one of the most hated laws by corporations in the, in the U.S. because a lot of a lot of corporations run afoul of this law. And I'm like, okay, it's a four page law. It's very simple. You know, you collect my information, tell me why you're collecting it, and then when you're going to get rid of it. And a lot of companies just can't do that. They're like, they're accustomed to just sucking up as much data as possible, and they want to do whatever they want to with it, right? And this is why they hate that law. But um, uh, Facebook settled, had a settlement in a bit of a case in Illinois. I think they settled that case for... I don't know, $650 million or something like that. But that's, as a result, that's, more than, that's more than a rounding error. It's more than a rounding error. And as a result of that, uh, so the case against uh, Facebook was that they were collecting people's uh, facial information, uh, biometrics, and they were using it for purposes that, and that they didn't tell the person for, and they didn't, never told them when they were going to delete it, right? So this is the simple four-page thing that this, you know, multi-billion-dollar company tripped up on. They paid $650 million, and as a result of that, they stopped doing that thing, <laughs> right? So for them, they felt like, okay, you know, Illinois is just one state. What if every state comes up with a BIPA law, and they come after us for doing this thing? So to me, that was an example of what, what uh a good regulation can do to make it not worth it for companies to be able to, to do, you know, do things with people's data that they don't want. And I, to me, it's very simple. You know, hey, this is what we collect the data for. We're going to use it for this and we're going to get rid of it with this point, you know, at this point. That's extremely simple, in my opinion. Right. But the, yeah, that I mean, I read an analysis, the the number of pages in a typical U.S. law has gone up by like 18 times or 19 times in the last 50 years. And I think you nailed it. Right. Simple. Simple is better. People understand simple. And 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 I, I this is a great example. So so I asked you for your definition of privacy. The way I always talk about privacy is. Are you using the data you took from me the way you said you were going to use the data when you took it from me, right? And clearly, Facebook was was a violation of that. And and I think that's a that's a great example because we see a lot of companies you get hit with GDPR fines, and they're not insignificant, right? It's four percent of operating revenue or something like that. And yet, the you keep seeing the same companies, and strangely enough, it's all American companies. 
that are getting nailed, <laughs> right? Or at least, or at least American-based yeah. based companies. We, yeah, I, I think that's think true. We, want to, we don't want to learn our lessons, I guess. Um, so interesting. So what do you... What do you see as the future of privacy? Do we think it's going to get worse? Do we think it's going to get better? Do we think it's going to stay the same? Great question. Well, I guess I have a two-prong answer for that. So from a regulation standpoint for privacy, I think there will be more regulation than privacy, whether that be federal, state, local, whatever. Uh, We definitely see the state's in the U.S. being very active on privacy because they feel like they don't want to wait for what's happening on the federal level. Like, that may never happen. So that's why a lot of these states are getting into to play. And what what that is doing uh, that people didn't expect is that it's creating, like, a de facto standard in the U.S., right? So, like, for example, let's say California has their law, right? So you're not, you may not be in California, but, you know, a company... If they're trying to figure out what their privacy strategy is, they're like, well, do I want to carve out California and only treat the California people this way, right? Or should I treat everybody this way? So we have companies like PayPal. They're like, look, you know, whether you're in California or not, you know, you can exercise your rights uh, just like you were in California with CCPA because it's easier for them to do that, right? So that's, you know, I guess that's one byproduct that's a good thing. Um, my other part of the answer is around technology. So um, because the technology is advancing so rapidly and people are really adopting it really rapidly and not really caring about the risk, uh, the risks are going to rise exponentially uh, and it will be a problem, right? So we're, we're generating data and we're creating data that was never created or collected before. So the risks are going to go like through the roof as far as I'm concerned, right? So, um, you know, thinking about, you know, wacky things like ChatGPT or, or all these other AI things, you know, I've seen this, I saw this thing um, recently uh, where it said, oh, well, AI was able to 100% um, diagnose uh, melanoma, like, you know, skin cancer, right? My thing is, with who? Whose skin, right? We know that Black people are misidentified in in AI systems, you know, way more. Uh, We know that a lot of times, instead of saying, instead of these systems saying that we can't do this thing, it'll give a wrong answer. You know, maybe that's okay if you're buying a pair of shoes online. It's not okay if they're using that to diagnose someone, you know, an illness or whatever. Like, okay, well, we didn't think that you had melanoma because, you know, we we didn't test the system on people who look like you, you know. So the risks are high uh, there. Uh, I think the transparency has to be there. And companies have not been accustomed to to being transparent about their data practices in the way that they'll need to be in the future. And so I think that's going to be a challenge for them. Okay. Do you, do you see this... Um... Is it worse with bigger companies, smaller companies? Is it going to be easier? Is it going to be harder? Are the bigger companies just going to not care as much? I think the bigger companies can get away with more, right? Because they can go through litigation, you know. So they do, you know, like I saw Facebook recently, they're putting up uh, a lawsuit against the FTC. They're like, hey, we don't think that you have the right to regulate X, Y, Z, right? And that's really, you know, to me, that's like um, 
you know, you see a, a horror movie where someone throws a chair in front of the monster and they try to go run or something. Like, that's pretty much like a stalling tactic as far as I'm concerned, right? But these big companies can do that. Uh, these smaller companies probably can't do that. Like, can you litigate something for like, you know, five years, six years, 10 years? Probably not, right? So I think for smaller companies, if they can leverage uh, AI, these new emerging technologies in responsible ways, it will help them tremendously in the future, right? So they'll be able to compete with companies they weren't able, able, ever able to compete with before. So I think it's leveling the playing field on that regard. Uh, but if you don't have endless, you know, money and these huge legal teams to litigate, you know, forever and ever, you know, that would be a problem. So I think, I think smaller companies can have huge advantages if they can mitigate those risks uh, where these larger companies, they're like, ah, you know, we're not going to lose everything. You know, maybe we'll lose a little bit or, you know, in a couple of years or whatever. So uh, it, it just really depends, I think. So, so the bigger companies are they're just not feeling enough pain to make it worthwhile for them to try to change. Not yet. Not yet. I think they'll get mm. there. Um, because I think the thing that's changing is that consumers are getting wiser, you know, right? So maybe some of this awareness is actually like like helping where people are like, wait a minute, like, what are you doing with my data? You know, whatever. So consumers can vote with their feet and they can vote with their wallet. And if they uh, feel enough bottom line pain where people are like, hey, we don't want to use your service because we think you're shady or you're creepy or you're doing whatever, you know, they're going to have to change their business practices. Right. And that's definitely a longer term, lo longer term play. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be around. Um, I, you know, I think part of it, too, is I think some of it's a little generational. I think our kids don't have the same concept of privacy. I mean, I was at an event and this is probably eight or 10 years ago and they had a couple of college students on and they called them digital natives and they called us old fogies, you know, digital old people. And they asked them a question. So how do you feel about, you know, privacy? And he said, well, we're, we're okay giving our credit card out if we get something free. And I'm like, that's not a privacy thing. No, that's a financial thing. And they just, they don't care. And, you know, people put, they put, everybody's got their lives up on, thankfully my kids are not like that, but people put their lives up on social media and then, you know, you wonder, I mean, I was telling someone this story the other day, my wife and I moved to Florida seven years ago, she's in Costco, woman goes up to her and goes, you're, you're Jeffrey's wife, aren't you? And it was someone I went to high school with, and she's actually a good friend of mine, but she knew my wife from pictures on Facebook. She was a nice person and she had good, good goals, but not everyone likes that, right? You see people with their names on their license plates or, you know, just things like that. And I think, um... I think digital and not digital, I think there are things that we should be doing. So one, one last question. Um, are you hopeful? Are you not? Like, do you think the future is going to get better? Well, I think the, the future will get better and worse. I guess that's the best way to, I could put it. Uh, so on the technology side, uh, you know, the, the innovations you know, as I said before, technology always outpaces regulation, always. Uh, but with AI and all this stuff, the the pace of innovation is so rapid now 
that it's going to go way, way far ahead, right? Way ahead uh, before, you know, regulation can ever keep up, right? But regulation is coming. Regulation is there for sure. Um, I don't think a regulation is necessarily a deterrent. It's more of a, an annoyance, I think, to companies. And, oh, crap, we got to do more stuff. <laughs> or we need to hire more people to, 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 to do this thing. But I think the real pain, in my view, is going to be where... Uh, on a business side where companies are like, hey, did you, you know, show us your privacy policy? Like, how are you handling data? We're not going to use you as a third party. Or or people say, you know, let's say all things being equal, you know, people have to choose between two different companies. One of them is more privacy aware, you know, and another isn't. You know, people may say, hey, I really think I like, I want to go to this other company. So I think it's going to come down to a bottom line decision. Uh, with customers and also more pressure from businesses uh, with with other businesses. Okay, awesome. I mean, you know, that at Black Kite, that's what we do, right? We're in the third-party risk space, and we definitely are seeing companies choose not to do business with other companies because they're not doing the right thing. So, okay, awesome. So this has been fabulous. I want to be cognizant of your time. I have a couple of sort of key takeaways, and then I'll hand it back to you for any final thoughts. So first thing, um, a lot of what you're talking about, Debbie, I think you're spot on is don't, don't touch the stove. It's hot, right? And eventually people need to figure that stuff out for themselves, right? Um, the, the change, so that third-party doctrine thing that you talked about, I think is really interesting, right? Hold over from an old law. If you have something, you have more rights than if you give it. The problem with digital, though, is you have it and you give it and you still have it, right? Um, right. Law, law is always going to be behind, behind tech, and, and that's going to continue to get worse. Um, I loved your metaphor about the fact that the internet is a library created just for you. And people need to start thinking about the fact that not everybody sees the same, the same thing. And then the, the two tips I think specifically that I loved was use different browsers for different things. And I'm going to actually start doing that today, in fact, because I don't do that. And be purposeful about how you share your information. Why do you want that? Why are you asking for this? What are you going to do with it? And if I decide I don't want you to have it down the road, what's the plan? So I think that was great. So any last final thoughts, wisdom, movies, books, whatever, just closing thoughts for everyone. Wow. Closing thoughts. I would say be vigilant, right? Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a tinfoil hat person like me, uh, but ask questions. You know, you have all the rights in the world to ask questions. You know, if I give my email to you, what are you going to do with it? You know, uh, is it is the value exchange equal enough, right? So you have to really think about that. So uh, again, just just um, enforcing what I said about being purposeful, you know, be vigilant, um, you know, talk to your friends, talk to your family. I try to, at the holidays, you know, I'm like the, again, I'm a tinfoil hat person, but I'm like, hey, um, one tip that I gave people this year, and this is because of um, these new advances in technology around voice mimicking, right? So mm. someone with AI can mimic your voice and people are being scammed where they, you know, like they think, oh, my son is at college and he called and he's crying and he needs some money or whatever. This literally happened to, to a lady that I know. So she lost a couple thousand dollars because she thought she got this call from her son. And it was like a fake, someone who faked their voice, right? So I said, for the families, you should have a word 
like a safe word of some sort that if someone ever called you, you asked them for that word, right? And so if it's a scammer, they're like, okay, game over. Let's hang up on Jeffrey. He's not going to fall for this, right? So right. I think that's really a good thing that com- that uh, families need to do and even companies should do that as well. Yeah, I love that. And, and well, the problem is the companies do, but you know what they use as the safe word? Your mother's maiden name, which is public information. Right? Yeah, right. Which it should is be something that's I, made up. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? It's funny you say that. I have a made up mother's maiden name. Me because too. like 20, 20 years ago, we got hit with fraud and banks at that time did not have any mechanism in place. So I made up my mother's maiden name. And every time I, I obviously won't share it, but every time I use it, people laugh because it's, it's a little silly. So, all right. Awesome. So thank you so much, Debbie. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know you are in high demand doing what you do these days. So I want to thank uh, Debbie for joining us. So again, check Debbie out, uh, Debbie Reynolds on uh, LinkedIn. Um, She posts some really, really good stuff. You should definitely be following her. She's got some great practical wisdom out there. So again, thank you, Debbie. Uh, Thank you all for joining. Make sure you subscribe below so you catch all of our guests going forward. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. Wheatman out. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.